Welcome back to the next episode of Real People, Real Hope. I'm Jill Heiser, Vice President of Mission Advancement, and I am here with the two gentlemen of the hour, Dave Game, our President and CEO, and Sean DeFore, our COO. And we have a bonus man with us tonight, <laughs> our Division Director for Family Services, Jason Schrauf. So we are in somewhere kind of special tonight. Uh, we've been kind of going all around trying to find a studio that fits us and fits our vibe. And I think we found it. We are down at the Detroit Foundation Hotel this evening. They have a podcast studio that's built right into their hotel. Um, and just before we got started, Sean, Dave, Jason, and I were hearing about all the famous people that have been at this mic. Um, none more famous than obviously Dave and Sean. But uh, Tony Hawk... Bill Ford Jr. I mean, the the artists that uh, wrote Earth, Wind, and no, not Earth, Wind, and Fire. Pause. September. Thank you. September. Thank That's you. Right. I need to brush up on my Motown uh, before I come down to Detroit. So, um, welcome back, guys. It's always good to be here. Yeah. Happy to be. Here. I feel like you were giving a plug for the Foundation Hotel. Like they I was. might want to come on board as a sponsor. I was. Listen. Oh, there you go. So if I you're think listening, that's a good Foundation idea. Hotel, yeah, right. I like, <laughs> I like it too. I like it too. So today we are going to be talking about uh, something that touches all of us, which is the the subject of families. Um, and Jason, as our family preservation uh, division director, um, has a lot to say about that and has a lot to educate us on tonight. So it's going to be a really great episode. Um, Jason has been with us since March of 2006. Is that right, Jason? That's right. Oh, my goodness. Long time. Consecutively, right? Consecutively. Perfect. Six months before I was married. And did I hear you had six different positions while you've been here? I think it was six. Okay. Family's first worker, family's first supervisor, uh, residential time. And <laughs> I love how you describe that. <laughs> then program manager. How, how long was that sentence? Right. <laughs> it was a few years. Yeah. I learned a lot. You guys can ask me about it. Okay, good. It pushed me back to family preservation. Mm -hmm. uh, then program manager, and then division director of the community services, whatever we used to call the division. Community support. Thank mm -hmm. you. Division. And yeah. now wow, yeah. the division director of the combined uh, community support and family press, the so, family services. So basically division. you can't hold a job. <laughs> That's it. That, yeah. well, there was some worry yeah. about that right. from time to time. Right. We just really like titles. That's all. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so right now, correct me if I'm wrong, we are serving right now family preservation services in 40 counties. That's right. Yeah, that's a lot for you to manage and oversee. So we're glad that you had a free minute <laughs> to spend with the glad podcast with it. us. So Wait. thanks for being here. Wait, can I, I need to add one more thing to Jason's resume. He is the recently or soon to be awarded oh, yeah. winner of the Guy Thompson Champion for Reunification Award given out by the Department of Health and Human Services. It's huge. So for th those who don't know, Guy Thompson was sort of a giant in family preservation work in the state of Michigan, mm -hmm. in pioneering it, developing it, championing it in the state uh, for decades before he passed away and was a close uh, friend, mentor, uh, trainer um, of uh, some of the work that Jason did in his career. So. Congratulations, Jason. We're proud Thank of you, you Jason. Yeah. 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 It says a lot about the qualities you bring to the work. And it, it is, it's funny. It's been a little humbling since I was nominated by someone here and um, learned of that just the other day and thinking about Guy because Guy was a person mm -hmm. who 
didn't have any children of his own, but really decided in so many ways that the kids of this state and the families of this state were his families Mm. and that he cared for them in a way that those were like his kids. And there is a lot to be learned from that attitude that I think we take on in our division of these families. The staff that we have talk about, they talk about Mm -hmm. my family, right? They associate with the families that we serve. I think I've heard you say that too. Yeah, right. right? So the award winner is not far from the uh, award name. Absolutely. In terms of that. I hope so. So Clay, our producer at the Detroit Foundation Hotel, second plug, just saying, um, (laughs) was telling us about famous people. So you can add Jason Shroff to the list because he is now an award winner. That's (laughs) S-R-O-U-F-E. Exactly. Um, So we have a lot to chat about tonight, um, but to kind of just frame it all up. Um, I will never forget when we talk about family preservation services, it's one of the many things that we do at Wellspring to kind of be proactive. It's to get ahead of the fact that so many families are torn apart and kids are placed in out-of-home care. Family preservation work is really about preserving the family, which I love. Um, But I'll never forget, we have been the sponsor of the Big Ticket Festival up in Gaylord now for several years. Um, And Jason was speaking up at the Big Ticket Festival. And one night, he kind of got up and just shared his heart about this work. Um, And I can imagine that many of you um, have heard, you know, these are clients and families that come from poverty and it's cyclical and all of these stigmas that surround the work that we do. And Jason, I remember that night, just really broke it down for me in a way that was just so digestible and so relatable. He said, you know what? Any one of us could be in this position. Any one of us could need these services. The difference between some of the clients and families that we serve and us is many of us have the resources and the stability around us of family and neighbors and community and church that lift us up during those difficult times. And I just remember that night thinking, wow, it's so true. Mm-hmm. And so, Jason, will you just talk a little bit? You have talked so much with me about how this work has changed your heart, that you went into it as kind of the expert, you know, being a master's level social worker um, and thinking that you were going to do so much work, which you have, but how much your heart has changed by doing this work as well. Yeah. So I think you reminded me of what I said the other day, and I I don't remember saying that, but it sounds like something I'd say, and because I believe that, and... I got into this work. I was working full-time at a church doing ministry and left that to work with families. And I think in some ways in my mind, I was going to come and help people that were having a difficult time, right? Help these families where there had been child abuse and neglect, and clearly they were making lots of mistakes. And I was going to, with uh, my good news or my good knowledge or my good skills or whatever it be, help change them and save these kids or something. And um, which isn't 100% untrue, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But what I learned right away was how much my life could be the exact same of these families Mm -hmm. if it weren't for some other things in my life, Mm -hmm. right? If it weren't for the privileges that I have of parents that made sure I got an education. Um, Being a parent is hard. I can remember when I was doing this work before I was married and had a child, And after my child was born, my mother said, is it harder to work with families that have had child abuse now that you have your own kid? Does it make it like, whoa, I have a kid. How could you do this? I said, no, it makes me understand 
because there are times this child is crying and I have feelings of anger, which is so like, why is that in me? It's because mm-hmm. I'm tired. It's because I'm cranky. It's because I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling these feelings and I'm upset. And I think if I, and I do this for a living, right? My wife is a master social worker. I'm not, I, mean, I have a degree, but not a social work degree. So I say I'm married to a social worker. Um, <laughs> But we have the skills and knowledge, and parenting is still really hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're reading books now of how do we do this better and having our own problems regularly. And so I think without right. the opportunities I've had, and and for me, when I talk about this work, because I think so often some of the difficulties of our families and the families in the state that we serve is that feeling of you when we work with families in most of our programs, they have previously been substantiated for child abuse and neglect. And they're on this hidden registry called the central registry, which means they have abused a child, which means they can't go and volunteer at their school. They can't get jobs at places like Wellspring Lutheran Services. They can't do a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And the, the feelings that must be attached to that, yeah. right? Of, whoa, I'm on this registry of child abusers. Mm-hmm. When... So often it comes from trying to do their best and making a mistake, Mm -hmm. right? Often, sometimes particularly neglect issues come from not having the resources they need to properly care for their kids, right? Never learning the right skills of how do I care for my home, having pipes that break and not knowing how to care for it. And now my house is full of mold and it's not safe for my kids and I get substantiated for neglect, right? Mm -hmm. So that was my point of saying this could be us, Mm -hmm. Uh, if we didn't have the right resources and supports. And probably in that audience, it was us, right? There probably were people who have had some kind of times where they felt their whole family was on the brink, Mm -hmm. which is the families we're serving. Mm -hmm. So Jason, what I hear you saying is that all families are at times stressed and challenged and have problems. Some families have sort of safety nets and and supports around them by circumstance and some don't right and that's really the difference yeah yeah and i'd say our work is to work with families where there is this risk of the family breaking apart for some sort of reason Mm -hmm. and that doesn't that isn't just child welfare right families break apart all the time for variety of reasons and so we're working with families where there is this concern whatever it be and I think most of us can relate to having a family where we're at, whoa, is this the breaking point for us, right? Right. What are we going to do? How do we get help? Right. So what I love about this program, and Sean, I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about how this, this family preservation programs that we have across the state, how would they relate to foster care? I think folks are much more familiar with what foster care is, less familiar with this suite of services but they're related, and um, uh, really, family preservation is sort of upstream. That's the hope. That's right from foster care. So, talk a little bit about that. Sure, and there, I would say there are a range of different types of family preservation mm-hmm. programs that vary in intensity. They vary in length. Um, their design a little bit, and even at which point they get involved in a client's life as it relates to child protective services, investigations, and the foster care system. So there there are a whole suite of programs that are designed to help families once there is some 
uh, hint of abuse or neglect or uh, substantiation of abuse or neglect, but it's considered low enough risk that the child can be kept in the home if the right supports are put in place. So some of those programs are shorter term and are designed to deal more with crisis. The example that Jason gave is a really good one. A lot of our families are involved with CPS because of uh, issues related to environmental factors or poverty, right? You have a house, the pipe broke in the basement, you have a predatory landlord that's not taking care of maintenance issues, mold is growing, kids get sick, schools calls Child Protective Services because the child hasn't been in school for months. They come out, they investigate, this isn't a suitable place for the child to live. Uh, so we either need to put the child in foster care or can we put some services in place to get them to a more secure, safe place. So you might have a program that works with a family intensively short term to deal with that immediate crisis. Or in some cases, you have a longer term service that works with a family because there are more complicated issues there or multiple issues that require more of a therapeutic approach um, and some long-term support to get them independent. On the other end of it, you have some families who actually are unfortunate enough to have their child come into foster care, but foster care is meant to be temporary. And so the child goes back uh, to the family once they've had their time in foster care and the family has navigated their way through the court system and gotten to a better place. And we have a program called Family Unification that works with those families for uh, three to six months, somewhere mm -hmm. within that time range to help make sure they're stable and lower the risk of them possibly coming back into care or having contact with, with uh, Child Protective Services in the future. And it's exactly what you said, Dave. I think it's, uh, it's our system trying to get further upstream mm -hmm. and recognizing that with the right supports, um, a large number, if not the majority of families who find themselves in some of these circumstances can be maintained and gotten to a place where their children are safe without them having to be removed. Uh, and that's what these programs are really about. So on that note, I think, let me ask you two things about family preservation, yeah. Jason. Um, one of the things that always surprises me is is the, the philosophy of getting further upstream and the savings both in trauma to a child in the family and in dollars mm -hmm. is something people don't know a lot about. Can you talk a little bit about it, the comparative cost versus the benefit yeah. with preservation versus foster care or yeah, outcome care? Absolutely. So in some ways, family preservation, what we're looking at is the, the cost for us to serve a child for a certain, let's say a month, uh, is a couple of thousand dollars where we're getting into hundreds of dollars a month uh, for just one child. So you have multiple kids. If you get into the kind of the highest parts of care, the if you're into residential foster care, we're talking about it could be- Hundreds of thousands. Yeah. I mean, it's $1,000 for four days, right? It's mm. a couple hundred dollars a day for a child to be cared for there. Mm -hmm. And you are having a situation there where- we're paying regular staff to come in and provide the supervision and parenting of children in yes. those kind of circumstances. And so the state has naturally moved away from what we call congregate care, right? Those residential programs um, and instead moving to family foster care, which is cheaper. But again, is still this, fam this child has been taken from their parents and is being parented by someone else. And I... I know things have gone bad at times in my life, but I can't imagine that day of leaving, you know, something bad happened, that would hurt, right? 
Then the police come or some worker comes and they come to my school and they talk to me. And then shortly after that, I'm in a courtroom for the first time. And then I'm in a car of a stranger. And then I'm in someone else's house with new rules and things, you know, and you think about that multiplied. And that's the, I mean, that's like day one or moment one of coming to the foster home. And we have wonderful foster parents, people who love these kids that aren't theirs and are trying to care for them. But all of that stuff leading to the time they got to the home already is lots of pain. And so those are costs. Now we have costs of counseling for those kids, right? We have costs of all the services we have to provide the parents. Mm -hmm. And so if we can say, let's, so this is the worst way to think of it, but if we can not pay for their boarding, right? For their housing, for where they're living, they're still living with their parent. Instead, we're paying for services to come in and to help that family together that we're thinking of a therapeutic approach where we're working with all the family instead of working with kids over here and working with parents over here and then hoping they come back. That was the whole instinct behind family preservation about 30 years ago when they really started pushing mm-hmm. it. The problem is we still tend to be funded in this country. We get money for the children that are in foster care, right? And organizations tend to have started of having kids out of home. And so these services tend to be very underfunded. And so that is a constant debate we're having all the time. And we're advocating to say, listen, shouldn't we be spending more money up front to try and uh, alleviate any of that trauma that's going to happen, right? And keep kids with the parents that God gave them. And how can we do that instead of the state of Michigan saying, no, we have to step in and, and parent now, yeah. right? Right. And it's it's amazing to me, in actual dollars, uh, an episode of a family preservation intervention is somewhere around three to four or $5,000, mm-hmm. right? Versus uh, a child stay in foster care, which runs anywhere from 30000 to a couple hundred thousand dollars on the really high end of care. Uh, so the the question I keep coming to is why why do we continue to not invest as much money in those kinds of lower cost services rather than higher cost residential and foster care? What, what's your thought on that? So I have a couple. One being I think we started a child welfare system initially out of taking care of other people's kids, right? And and there is a history of doing that. And we could get into some really kind of traumatic history that's happened in this country of immigrant children that their parents didn't even know these kids were gone and on trains and taken across the country, right? Or boarding schools for Native Americans. And, and so there is some pretty bad history that when you look at like the root of some of this, it's like, that's really uncomfortable. Um, I also think there's this other mentality which maybe also feels a little uncomfortable of this like missional mentality of kind of like I said I had when I wanted to come mm-hmm. and help these families of I can do this better, right? There was this bad parent. Let's have good parents raise them and fix them um, and take care of them, which there's some instincts in that of wanting to care, which is great. There's some other stuff that is this implicit judgment of the parents God gave the kids that's really not great, that's really wrong, right? And I think that still exists. I still think there are times we just don't believe certain types of people can parent that well. 
in certain types of communities. And, and if you looked around this country of the types of kids that are more in foster care than others, you'd see that there's still racism here. There's still certain communities that have all sorts of other systematic problems, and those ca- kids end up in care more. And so I, I do think there are some, again, I mean, the reason to want to talk about this, right, and have a podcast to say, we got to know that there are some real problems. And um, I heard, I, Dave, I'm thinking about when you were on the radio a year ago, when mm. we had the crisis at the border, yeah, right? Yeah. And there were kids being taken from parents as a punishment to those parents. How dare they come in, right? And so y- you said, we also have a problem in our own yeah. country. Right. Right. Where we have 13,000 kids in the state of Michigan right. that we've made some judgment. Oftentimes, those parents needed help and we had to take the kids for temporary mm-hmm. care. There are other times we've made judgments of parents and we put kids into care. Right. Right. And until we continue to deal with that and talk about those things, I think we're going to have this imbalance. And that's part of, I know, our passion at Wellspring, yeah. my passion in leading this division is to say, Let's talk about uh, the parents that we have and let's give them resources and show that we can prove the majority of the time when we work for them for just one month, 95% of the time, those kids are still safe in there, right? So there's some proof in the fact That's right. that these parents can continue to do this. Yeah, they just need the support and the help. Right. So, Sean, I want to come at that question a little bit different. Sure. And, Jason, you've nailed it sort of from the, from the program level here's what the challenge is of sort of getting upstream. But one of the things we have to recognize is that this system is part of our public policy and, frankly, political system now. Mm-hmm. And, and the challenge for us is the, the need for really our, our, our politicians to step up and understand this and, and make the changes to policy that will help us do more of the kind of work Jason's describing and less of the traumatic kind of work we do in foster care for kids. And, and that's a very, very heavy lift. We know that the political, um, political change doesn't come easily or quickly and often is um, done only in sort of crisis mode. And this is a hidden crisis, right? People don't see this. So our ability to raise awareness about this is is important. You know, we've used the analogy. We actually used this analogy when we advocate with politicians on this and said, look, family preservation is like wellness programming. Foster care is like trying to heal illness, right? So we're finally getting in this country this idea that health care really needs to be wellness programming. And let's not let's, – let's get beyond trying to cure things and let's get there and prevent them. And that's really what we're trying to do here is, is prevent the kinds of things that cause both the cost but more so the trauma and then the generational cycle it creates when kids are pulled into foster care. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I, I do feel the need to just for a minute to clarify. There are times kids need to be yes, removed, right? absolutely. And, and, and I've had the unfortunate experience of hearing some really uh, horrendous things that have happened right, from parents under stress, parents that have been intoxicated, parents who haven't understood what it means to parent with mental illness that have harmed children in significant ways. Um, And and so 
I, I'm saying we have some systematic problems and we tend to put kids into care too quickly, I think by and large, and we've done that. Uh, we have kids, our foster care populations going up instead of down right now. I think these are problems. But I also think it's really important in the work of what our child protective service workers are doing and the, the work of going in and identifying um, these things is really, really important. And we do keep kids safe because of that. And there are kids that are safe and living functional lives because they got put into foster care, got the services they need, mm-hmm. had a family that adopted them and are doing awesome. Yeah. And that's really important right. stuff too. You know? so, so Jason, we have just a couple minutes left. And on that note, I'd like you to talk a little bit more specifically about what a family preservation intervention looks like. Because I, I don't know that we've We've really given people a flavor when a when a staff goes into a family's home. What does that intervention actually look like? What is family preservation work? Yeah, that's really good. So it it depends on the program, but I'll say most of them start like this. We get a phone call that there has been some sort of incident that has occurred, and um, our immediate step is to call the family, introduce ourselves, and uh, tell them we're coming out to meet them. And our first thing there is to, and we talk about this word engagement a lot, right? It's a word that's even in our mission statement. That's right. And we talk about making connection with those families, coming in, not assuming that the things we've heard about them from a child protective service worker or from some court documents are the full truth, but giving the family a chance to speak for themselves. And and we take some time to really listen and understand. And then the, the other important thing is we're working, I don't know, a handful of, so let's say it's our most intensive intervention. That's 28 days up to 10 to 15 hours a week uh, working with this family. And so we're thinking 40, 50, 60 hours maybe with the family. And to think we've solved all their problems by that point, it's not going to happen. So what we teach all of our staff to do is to to focus on strengths, that we say we're a strength-based program. And so in the engagement process, we're also asking the family and trying to understand the strengths of the family. We're saying, when did it work in the past? When was the family really, when were things going well? What did that look like? What was the most recent time? And so what would it look like if we started doing that now? What would you need to do? How would you make those changes? And so we build on those strengths. And I think one of the most fun things about our job is every family is different and the needs are really different. So to do this job, you have to be like really creative and flexible. And sometimes you're like learning how do we fix plumbing issues, right? And you're uh, working on doing remodeling jobs and rehab jobs. And, and, and social workers are really good at that. Oh, right? man. You know what? <laughs> they love it. What social workers are good at is rolling up their That's sleeves right. for any problem and meeting it. Of course. And, and our staff do that really well. Other times it's teaching how do we deal with conflict with our kids? How do we do some parenting teaching? How do we deal with maybe parenting issues with our family? Maybe other times it's saying, okay, we have some addiction problems, and so we need to get outside services for that. Mm -hmm. And how do we do that? And how do we create a relapse plan? Um, But those key things are engagement, and then it's something we call safety planning. And this is something I've found in my own life really practical, that whenever there's a potential issue, what's my plan to prevent that from getting worse? And we're doing that and adapting it over the course mm-hmm. of the time. So it, before I leave tonight, first time I've met you, I want to make sure you're safe and I can meet with you again tomorrow. So what do we got to do tonight to make sure you're safe? 
And then we keep changing that as we go. So I'm not going to see you for three months or six months. So I, I want to make sure I see you in six months. What will your life look like then? And what are the, what's the plan we have to do to keep you safe to get there? Yeah. And those practical steps you mentioned earlier, the 95%, 85% uh, kinds of success rates we have with families, yeah. really just amazing. Yeah. Uh, in 40, 50, 60 hours with the family. Yeah. Quite incredible. And as we wrap up here, I, I just have to sort of jump in and, and, and say, you know, Wellspring is the state's largest provider of these kinds of services. We're very proud of that. We uh, work hard to uh, make sure we're, we are where people need us. And that's why Jason's running around looking at programs that are serving people in 40 of Michigan's 80-some counties. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really incredible. And thank you for doing that, Jason. I'm glad to do it. It's a privilege to do it. And thank you for spending your evening with us. <laughs> privilege to do that, too. <laughs> <laughs> so as you can see, uh, Jason lacks passion. I know that you yeah, both right. agree we're with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we're working <laughs> on that. Yeah, we're working on that for him. We wish you were a little more excited about your work. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> um, so we literally maybe touched on one area of this work. Um, and Jason, if... If I've learned anything from you over the years, it's just about life's biggest lessons through other people. And you do such a beautiful job of sharing the stories of these incredible people that have fought tooth and nail to keep their families together. And those are beautiful, remarkable stories, which I'm so excited to dig into. So um, we've actually asked Jason to do part two to this. Um, And so part two of this podcast is going to be really talking about some of those families, sharing some of those stories. We call this Real People, Real Hope for a reason. It's because we want to talk about real stories. And so Jason has agreed to stick around and uh, share some of those stories with us. And I think that we all have a lot to learn from Jason um, in those stories and the people that we've been able to serve, but ultimately have served us by teaching us some of life's biggest lessons. So... So as we wrap up tonight, I just want to thank you, Dave and Sean, for being here, and Jason, specifically you, for being here, and Clay, our awesome producer, uh, for joining us tonight. And uh, we look forward to the next episode of Real People, Real Hope, and we hope you do too.